Hello, CBCS. Welcome back to the Chapel Podcast. My name is Anastasia Davi, and today we are joined with Pastor Derek. He is from South Shores Church, and he will be giving us a message called Truly God is Good. So without further ado, let's get into it. I mean, God is so good that when we talk about him, we got to at least repeat ourselves a little bit. And so we say he's good, and we open our Bibles, and we read he's good, and we sing that he's good, but sometimes we then walk out these doors, and we go, oh, mm, not so good. And we say he's good, and he's good, and you get your chemistry test back, and you're like, I don't know, not so good. But then you're told that he's good, and you say that he's good, and then your Super 73 gets stolen. And you're like, hmm, not so good. So this morning we're going to look at a psalm, because I love the psalms, because they enter in to real life of what it's like to follow God when the world is not always so good. In Psalm 73, it's real, it's painful, uh, it is an honest journey of a man who's trying to reconcile what he sees in the world, what he observes, and what he's been taught about the goodness of God. And so this is how it begins, verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And so the question he's, he's uh, answering with this is not, is God good, but to who? All right, Israel, he says, sure does say that quite clearly, but the next line he clarifies even more, to those who are pure in heart. Okay, that's kind of his way of saying those who are fully committed to God, those who have faith in him, who follow him. In other words, God is good to those who love him. Okay, God's good to his people. All right, that's, that's what this worship leader who's writing this has been taught. That's what's been made known in the scriptures. That's what he believes, but is it true? Or is it really just kind of wishful thinking that we just kind of keep going along with? Does it match up with reality or is it an illusion? I don't know if any of you are familiar with something called the Ames Room. I think we got a picture of it right here. You can be standing on the back of the Ames Room and looking and have two people. And it looks like one is a giant and one is not. Not really sure what the right term is anymore. So we'll just say not a giant on that side. But then they'll cross paths and all of a sudden the person in the purple will become a giant and the other person looks like they get really tiny. And it's not CGI, it's not green screen. And you're wondering what's going on. You, you know that they can't have just grown and yet that's what it looks like to you. See, our psalm writer is kind of looking at the world and going to try and figure out, I, I see stuff, but it disconnects with my brain what I think to be true. And I'm trying to figure out what it is. But he's trying to figure it out, kind of sitting in the same position where really all the facts aren't there. But this is what he observes. Starts in verse 2 and 3. It says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So this guy, he's a, he's a worship leader, and he begins to doubt. He says it's like he's fallen off this rocky path. He almost loses his faith because he saw what he calls the prosperity of the wicked. All right, so the wicked, those who uh, are against God, and prosperity. What's this word? Doing well, everything's good. 
In the Hebrew, the word was shalom. It's like ever, all the good that you could hope for in life with, with God, with your family, with things going on. It, it, it's supposed to be good, and it's going to the people who are against God. And if they're going to get the good, it, it kind of made him envious. It makes the writer want the things that they have, and, and then he keeps watching them a little more. And so the verses that follow, just summarize them. He says these uh, wicked, they receive good in their well-being. Their health, their luscious hair, they're strong, there's no burdens, there's no pain. And then he realizes, man, they're just even really going for it and getting good, even in their sin. They're proud, they're violent, they have evil words, they're harming other people, and they get away with it. And they receive good in their rebellion against God. They are openly defying God and mocking God and acting like he doesn't matter and he doesn't exist. And in verse 12, he sums up all his observations. He says, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in riches. He says, I'm watching them, and it's just easy street. They're easy living, and they're getting rich, and that's what you get if you're against God. That doesn't make sense. So he says, I I don't think following God is even worth it. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence, for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. It's vain. It wasn't worth it trying to follow God and what God wanted to keep his heart pure, to be someone who had followed God faithfully, believing in him, committing to him. As he watched what happened to the wicked and the good that they got, he says, my route's just been hardship. My route's been difficult. I'm punished every morning. Life's not good, but even though I've been doing it right. So he takes his observations and he comes to a new conclusion the wicked are blessed and I have trouble, then God is not good to those who love him. And it'd be better if I lived for myself. You ever look to the world and kind of start to put some of those thoughts together yourself? You're scrolling and you're thinking, oh, these influencers, they're not trying to follow Jesus and they've got it made. They got everything that, that I want. You, you look at other people who don't seem to care about what's godly or not, and they just live life, and they take what they want, and they make what they want, and they get the fame that they want, and the stuff that they want, and you go, I, I kind of maybe would choose that. I mean, it's hard to follow God, and maybe it's not worth it. Maybe, maybe God's good, but what does it matter if God is good, but not good to the people who follow him? And if you haven't wrestled with these thoughts yet, you can better believe that they will come. Maybe it's here, maybe it's in college or whatever is next in your plan, but you're going to watch people cheating the system and get better grades and better jobs. You're going to watch people making hundreds of thousand dollars on certain kinds of websites. You're going to see people caring first about themselves and having the sort of life, while curated on Instagram, but still a certain sort of life that everyone seems to want. And you just might start to think that if you were more like those other people, the ones who've thrown off the shackles of Christianity and its morals and the Bible and its rules, then, well, maybe you could have that too. I mean, if God's not going to be good to his people, maybe you just need to be good to yourself. And that's halfway through this psalm where the writer has landed. He's decided God's goodness is the illusion, but what if his understanding of goodness towards the wicked. What, what if that's the illusion? What if there's another way he could be viewing what's going on and he just needs to see it, not from his eyes, but God's eyes? 
And that's where we, we finally get to. And this happens in verse 17 when he goes into the sanctuary of God. And it's actually, it's being with God. It's God's presence that starts to alter his perception, give him a new angle on what he's been seeing. And that, of course, you get a new angle, you get some new observations. Because what he once saw as the good stuff, he, he now starts to view it as actually slippery, dangerous ground. See, God provided these good things, but all it did was multiply the evil of the person. It revealed the, the heart that was inside. It only hardened them, causing them to deserve more punishment. You see, it's not that God was giving them good gifts. He was giving them gifts that started to expose them and ensure their ruin. This is what he writes in verses 18 and 19. Truly, you, God, set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. He's starting to see, you know, the, the money, the health, the, uh, the things they seem to be getting away with. It, it's not that they're really free from burden or struggle. It's not that they're making bank and living on easy street. They will be gone. Their end is destruction. And so he reconsiders his thoughts from before, and he says, verse 22, I was brutish and ignorant. God, I was like a beast toward you. God, remember those, all those things I said about how uh, they had it made, they were getting everything they wanted? I, I finally see that where they're headed with that, what it was revealing in them was just setting them up for your punishment. And I was senseless. I was beastly. And by our psalm writer deciding to still leave all his bad observations in and then show us that he's wrong, he's showing us that this sort of journey is a normal part in following God, in the Christian life. We will see the wicked seemingly prosper, and we will experience troubles ourselves, and we'll want to throw up our hands and just say, forget it. But then we can turn to Psalm 73 and say, oh yeah, uh, this happens. God's not surprised, and if I draw closer to him, I can see it better for what it really is. And once he has that new perspective, he comes to new conclusions about what is good. Verse 23, 24, Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you re will receive me to glory. This guy recognized it's not that God had changed. He had changed his perspective. He had started to slip away, but now he renews his commitment to God, and as he does so, he sees what's truly good that God's doing for him. You hold me. You guide me and you will take me into glory. This is the truer and better good that God does in the lives of those who love and follow him. It's the continuing work of God in the salvation process, from their calling by God to their final end. God holds, God guides. He ensures that they will make it through and become the people that God wants us to be. But not only that, the writer recognizes what he really has. Because if you remember, what started this waver in his faith is he started to realize that he had trouble and other people had all the riches and the goods and the license and the freedom that he wanted. But now he remembers what it is he really has. Verse 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
What does he have? And well, in heaven, God. On earth, he has God, and that's all he desires. Well, wait a minute. What about his flesh? He's pretty, you know, upset that others had health and strength and all that. He says, I, I get it now. I remember. My, my flesh may fail. That's fine. God is the strength of my heart and will be mine forever. The only thing that anyone can have that matters is God. What would it be like for you to have that same sort of perspective? I mean, have you thought about what if the things that you want so badly to have that you see that others have might actually, if you attain those things, could cause you to run farther away from God? Do you really want to be there? What if the easy street we see others walking on is actually a downward, dangerous slope into a canyon where there's no return? You see, even if we don't have those things we think we want or the kind of life in Christ, through faith, we can have so much more because none of it compares to actually having God. Now, is it easy to remember that? No. Is it easy to recall it, especially in the moment when our noses are rubbed and the successes of others who reject God and we in our place are having trouble? It's not, but it's true because it's the prosperity of the wicked that's the illusion and the better possession is God. Well, the psalmist finishes with two final thoughts. First, that those who think they have everything yet reject God, well, they will perish. And then finally, the final verse, verse 28. He says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, he knows that it's good to be near God. He makes the sovereign Lord his refuge. Meaning, once again, his full faith is in God alone because God is good to those who love him. So what about you? Will you let this psalmist journey be something you can learn from, that it can be your own? Are you having trouble seeing God's goodness to his own people, to those who love and follow him? Well, I hope today you will see that you're not alone in the struggle. I know sometimes it can seem like everyone else has it all put together and things just fall into place for them in their lives. But it's not true. Within my church, I know we have people dealing with aggressive forms of cancer, but still trying to see God's plan. People are dealing with families that are breaking up and major disappointments in, in business, in school, in friendships, and they're still trying to bring glory to God's name. People are dealing with job loss and even death and, and still praising God for being good. Because when we're near to God, we can leave the wicked to him. When we're near to God, we do not need to envy. When we're near to God, we know a goodness that transcends our temporary state. When we're near to God, we can see how it is that he works his ways that are beyond what our normal observational skills can attest to. See, we need to let God's spirit, his word, his church be what forms the categories and structures by how we determine whether our observations are true or an illusion. Because God truly is good to us, both in the good days and the bad. He holds, he guides, and one day he will take us. But for now, we draw near to him because he is our refuge. God is good all the time. That's right. And God is good to those who love him. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I don't know what each uh, student here is going through, both in their day at school and what they will get to after. But Lord, you do. 
And we trust that in your goodness, you are guiding and directing and holding, and you will cause good to happen, truly good. And for that, we trust in you. We trust in Christ, as they sang at the beginning, who, who died, who gave up his life, that we might be brought to you. And that is the greatest good of all. In his name we pray. Amen. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for that message. I truly enjoyed that. Uh, we are now joined with Pastor Derek for a short interview. So my first question is, tell us just a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, maybe how you came to Christ. Yeah, so I grew up in California, up in the Central Coast, and uh, my one, one brother and then my parents and I, we grew up going to church, uh, came to know Christ at a pretty young age from my parents. And, uh, but then in high school really started to feel the calling to um, go into church ministry, uh, helping people understand the Bible. And so from there, Biola, from Biola down into Dana Point. I've actually been at South Shores uh, since 2003, where I was an intern and actually Mr. Dana Dill was one of my uh, high school students in the youth group. And yeah, I have one wife, Rebecca, four kids. Uh, Hutch, Oaks, Avonlea, and Shiloh, and uh, we have a pretty fun little family. Oh, that's awesome. Um, what do you hope students take away from your message today? Um, I, I, hope, I hope that maybe two things. One is simply a recognition, yeah, sometimes life is not going to be what I think it ought to be mm-hmm. if God is good and I love him and stuff, and so they'll, they'll see that there's more than what meets the eye in life. And so to wait, have, have patience and, and trust really God is doing something. And, and to maybe just the tool that the Psalms are worth uh, peering into because you find common uh, commonality with the writers who had those same struggles. Right, yeah. I really like how you said that the prosperity of the wicked is like an illusion. Like it's kind of a facade where it's just this worldly pleasure maybe but there's still a burden in that where it's like a it's like a soul searching where it's not it's not fulfilling these worldly things and I just really liked how you how you phrased it like that and I and I deeply resonate with just the psalmist and their struggles and their joys and and I thought you did a really beautiful um job of just going through that journey of the psalmist. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, our last question is, if people want to reach out to you or um, get more connected with you, how could they do that? Uh, Southshores.org be our church's website. So you can certainly find my email on there, or you can connect with South Shores through our Instagram page. And uh, we have people always... um, monitoring that and uh, mm-hmm. passing stuff on to myself and the other pastors at our church. Um, but yeah, happy to have anybody reach out. Um, and uh, Derek Zellner, full name. So quick Google search. I'm sure all those things will come up. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. This episode has been a production of the Capistrano Valley Christian Schools podcast network. Capistrano Valley Christian Schools is a Christian JK through 12 school in San Juan Capistrano, California. 
be sure to check out, subscribe to, and leave a review of this show and the other shows on our network on your podcast player of choice. Doing so supports the school community in a multitude of ways. For more information about the CVCS Podcast Network or any of our other shows, check out cvcs.org or email podcasts at cvcs.org. On behalf of the whole network, this is Mr. Jasper saying thank you again for listening and stay tuned for more.